Welcome to the Upper 90 Football Podcast, providing American coverage and opinions on all things football. I'm Garrett Post. And I'm Justin Ruderman. And we've got a busy episode today. We'll be discussing the first round of fixtures of the Champions League group stage, uh, Premier League match week five, and some crazy MLS action throughout the week. Justin, how are you doing? Doing all right. Maybe not the best uh, football results this weekend that I was looking for, but we move. Well, we'll start in a place that will be decent for you. We'll go back to midweek talking about the Champions League match day one of the group stage. And Justin, let's kick it off with your Manchester City um, in a crazy high scoring thriller, beating Leipzig six goals to three. Hattrick from Nkunku for the German outfit, but uh, six different goal scorers for City. Um, what were your thoughts on that just absolute madness of a game? Yeah, as you say, I mean, insane game. Everything that you could possibly want in a football match. Nine goals, a hat trick, a red card, a penalty, an own goal. I mean, anything you could ask for, it was there. Um, a stunner from João Cancelo. Everything was there. Um, a solo goal from Jack Grealish. You know, all of these Really, really an incredible game. Um, you know, Ake scored uh, his goal and his um, father passed away, unfortunately, minutes after. He posted uh, on, on social media afterwards. So there was a lot of emotion there for him. Um, and as you say, Unkuku with the hat trick was poor defending from Man City. So we scored six, obviously couldn't manage to score uh, at the weekend, but this was... A great result. I wish we could uh, defend better. It was interesting seeing our former player get sent off at the Etihad um, in Angelino in the 79th minute. But I mean, I can't complain. I, I would like to see our, you know, our defense a little bit more solid. But I understand that Ake is our fourth choice center back. Um, so we're, we are struggling in that department with uh, injuries with Laporte and Stones struggling to return. But yeah, I mean, overall, happy with the result a good start to champions league um Grealish looked fantastic obviously yeah, that goal, goal was lovely wasn't it yeah absolutely very very nice goal um so it's good seeing him you know continue to have a good start to the season um yeah Mares burying penalties which city you know we struggle with penalties but Mares seems to be that guy um even when kdb fully returns i think mares will still you know stay on penalties because he seems to be able to bury them which is something that city have been struggling with uh, in recent times especially last year so let's move on to another one of the high scoring games which was liverpool coming from behind um at anfield to beat ac milan um actually milan you know we're, we're kind of holding on for the vast majority of this game but at the end of the first half a quick fire double from Rebic and then Brahim Diaz, former city player, of course, um, gave Milan the lead at halftime. Um, but then a, a solid goal, which we both commented was horrible, horrible goalkeeping from Mike Minon. And then um, Jordan Henderson with a, a really nice goal in, in the 69th minute to win it for Liverpool. And, and they deserved it um, to be honest. Like they definitely outplayed, AC Milan, they, they had more shots, the eight shots on target to four, 23 shots to seven, 62% possession. Um, so yeah, Milan were ruthless on the counter, but I, I think Liverpool definitely deserved all three points in that game. Justin, you have, you have anything to add? 
yeah no I mean I, I agree with what you're saying it's a Liverpool deserve to win and it's you know they seem to be able to find ways to get it done in the Champions League um, especially at Anfield I mean I think was it Arsene Wenger who said there's the one place you don't want to go in Europe is Anfield so <clears throat> the Anfield atmosphere is a myth wait what who said that I don't know maybe an Evertonian yeah. Oh no. Oh, yeah. Well, it wasn't now. It wasn't me. I think you know there must have been someone walking by my room or something. <laughs> yeah, that other Evertonian that lives in your room. Oh um, yeah. But yeah. yeah, we have um, we can go to and look at uh, Madrid Inter, which was another big game. Rodrigo saving Real Madrid in the 89th minute, getting them the three points, which was huge in their group. Um, obviously, a, a big game to start it off. Um, I, I think it was a deserved win from madrid but it it could have gone either way honestly so yeah i don't know if i'd agree with that just looking at the stats here 18 shots to 12 five shots on target to two in favor of inter um madrid had a bit more of the possession but i mean this one could have easily gone either way but you know there's games where it's all about quality in the final third and, and who can actually put the ball in the back of the net who can decide not to be brighton and despite creating all these great chances you know actually capitalize on one and that wasn't inter and we know that they've lost you know, one of the best strikers in the world in, in the form of Romelu Lukaku and Edin Dzeko, you know, wasn't able to, to put the ball in the back of the net like Lukaku. I feel like Lukaku might have, if Lukaku was still on Inter, I think there's a very good chance that they actually win this game based on, you know, kind of the opportunities that they were creating. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's a big win for Madrid. Yeah, I mean, yeah, having Lukaku obviously would have changed things. But Madrid uh, sneaking out wins as they did, you know, at the weekend in La Liga against Valencia, they rescued it with uh, Vinicius and, and Benzema rescued them in pretty similar time, late 80th minutes. So it, it's, it just shows promise for Madrid because that is, you know, how you win in the Champions League is having clutch moments like that. Um, so it's, it's a promising sight for Madrid. Yeah, I, um, I disagree because I think that their luck is going to run out. They keep, you know, saving themselves. You know, they're, they're flirting with danger a lot. They are fighting. They're they playing with fire and, and eventually they're going to get burned because they can't keep leaving it so late. In, in this game, obviously, they weren't losing, but in the weekend they were. And they did it last week in La Liga as well, where they keep, you know, giving themselves mountains to climb at the very end of games. And yeah, they're so far they've been able to do it, but I just don't see them continuing that trend if they can't take control of games at the beginning. I personally think that they've been getting pretty lucky. Um, so definitely two sides to that coin. Absolutely. I think that one game we will not debate whether it was a deserved win is uh, Bayern versus Barcelona. Three uh, nil complete domination. Uh, Lewandowski with a brace uh, Muller Muller with the other goal. Uh, we can look at, you know, the stats, 17 shots to five, seven shots to zero on target for Barcelona in the entire game. That's crazy. So that, that is domination right there. It, it really is. And, and we've seen kind of Ronald Koeman's thoughts post-match saying, you know, look at the squad. I can't play like Barcelona used to this and that. This team is just an absolute shell of its former self. Like, if you took away the Blaugrana, you took away the Camp Now, you would have absolutely no like, no clue. There would be not a chance that you would guess that this team is Barcelona because they play nothing like what Barcelona, you know, kind of stands for as a club in the footballing world. 
Um, it's, it's crazy, but you know, Bayern, no, was this unexpected at all? No, everybody knew Bayern were going to come in. They were going to do business. I mean, they beat them eight two last season when Barcelona had the greatest player of all time playing in the team. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that we said it, uh, last week, Barcelona are going into this game, hoping that didn't happen again. And it didn't, but it was still an annihilation. It was, it was a comfortable, easy win for Bayern. And that's not what we are used to seeing from Barcelona. No, and it's not. We, but I, I'd, I'd get used to it if I were you. You're not. You're not wrong there. It's going to take some time. But with that, we can move on to some results were, which were definitely surprising. Starting off with young boys taking down the Goliaths of Manchester United, Ronaldo scoring in the 13th minute, uh, a reply from young boys in the 66th. And then Jordan Pifok in the 95th minute to win it off a, a terrible, terrible mistake from Jesse Lingard. Oh, it um, was so bad. But he made up for it at the weekend, which we'll talk about later. But, Justin, you missed one key event because the entire the turning card. point of this game was when Aaron Wan-Bissaka was sent off in the 35th minute for an awful challenge. It was not very good at all. But, I mean, young boys deserve this win. You look at the stats, you know, they – controlled this game 19 shots to two in favor of young boys five shots on target to two like that is remarkable and 54 percent possession yes united were playing with 10 men for 55 minutes but that doesn't change the fact that young boys completely dominated them and and i still think that you know i heard i forget who it was it might have been um like carriger or someone maybe gary lineker or something post-match talking about how if it were City in the same situation, do you think young boys would have 54% possession and would be dominating the game? No. I still think City with 10 men control a game against young boys. And United were just completely inept once Wan-Bissaka got sent off. And then, you know, obviously it looked like they were going to get away with it and, 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 you know, steal a point basically in a game in which they had no business, you know, still being in at all. And then, Jesse Lingard plays the through ball of his life. Too bad it was to the wrong team. And Jordan Pifak just clips it past <laughs> David De Gea. Yeah, well, I mean, I think you're right to say that the, the red card is obviously a turning point. But young boys were outplaying United prior to that red card. Just be, I mean, Ronaldo obviously had scored prior to the red card, but Ronaldo is, is clinical. I, young boys were the better team for in the entire game, in my opinion. I I always thought that they were in it even before the red card. And once the red card came, it, it you know, they, they took advantage in the second half. So it, a huge, a huge result, an embarrassment for Manchester United. Um, they, I still think obviously they're, they're going to come back and rebound and win the group, but it's a terrible start for them. It really is. Yeah. It's really poor. And I think the other probably biggest shock result of the whole week is what we'll go to now is Sheriff taking down Shakhtar Donetsk 2-0. And we were both, you know, kind of making fun of Sheriff, saying, you know, oh, they're bottom of the group, but at least they have a good name, but not so fast. They are currently top of the group, above Real Madrid on goal difference. Um, I mean, this is just kind of a crazy result. Um, They had 25% possession and managed a 2-0 win. That is a bit insane. Yeah, I mean... I will say I think that the PSG result was was more surprising than this result, but it was you know this shows what a team performance can really be. Uh, it's 
a team that, you know, makes it through the playoff and, and sneaks into the UCL and people don't know about them. People underestimate them, but they know in their team, they know each other. They know that they will fight for each other. And that's what they did. I mean, as you said, 25% possession, that is showing you are really just fighting and, and putting everything that you have into that game. Um, and, and it worked out for them. I mean, they, they pulled it out. So as you say, top of the group, surprising, but good for Sheriff. Um, okay. Well, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, go ahead say, to the PSG game. Yeah, I was going to say, let's talk about that game that you just mentioned. 1-1. I was watching this game. Um, yeah, so a goal from – a really nice goal from Anna Herrera set up by Mbappe in the 15th minute. And then Hans Vonneken, the uh, Club Brugge captain, probably the most notable player on their team, uh, uh, alongside Noah Lang probably, um, uh, w- with a, a great goal as well. I mean, I thought Club Brugge played really well in this game. They didn't have the the vast majority of possession, only 36%, but seven shots on target to PSG's four, 16 shots to PSG's nine. They were really effective in the counter, but it's not like they were attacking an incredible amount of space. It's just when they did have the ball, they were using it so efficiently. Their link up was fantastic. Um, I was really impressed by them in this game. I, I think PSG still looked dangerous and, and really took control of the game in the, in the final, you know, 15, 20 minutes, but they just weren't able to find that piece of quality um, to end up getting them all three points. Obviously, Messi smacked the bar in, in the first half with what would have been an amazing first goal for the Parisians, but we are still waiting on that even after the weekend. Um, but yeah, I was, I was impressed with Brugge. I think, you know, they still could stake a claim in, in get. I think they, could potentially beat Leipzig to that to that Europa League spot in, in the group. Yeah, I mean, it definitely raises some questions, you know. I, and I think there's been a lot of focus on, you know, PSG not being able to get the result. But I think you're right to, you know, focus on Bruges a little bit or, and say they played well. It was It was their, you know, quality rather than PSG's lack of it. I mean, PSG didn't obviously provide what we would expect from the best front three in the world, obviously, but Brugge were in the game. They were attacking. They were just playing well overall. So it's, it's, we got to give credit to them and not just say PSG were poor. Yeah, totally agree. Another, maybe not a shock result, but the way it happened was was certainly shocking. Uh, Ajax, 5-1 against Sporting with Sebastian Haller with four goals. I mean, incredible just coming out. For, I mean, we know what he did in the Premier League was, was not up to pace. And so he has a lot to prove, uh, which, you know, he, he did in this game. So what were your thoughts on this one, Garrett? I mean, it's the first time, I, I think... I mean, I might be wrong here. Don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure it's the first time an Ajax player has scored a hat-trick in the Champions League, at least since the rebranding. Um, yeah, I mean, we know that Allaire has quality. We know that. and it, But he just wasn't consistent enough in the Prem. You know, had a couple fantastic goals, frankly. Um, loves a bicycle kick, doesn't he? But, um, yeah, I, I think it's a, it's extremely impressive. Also, uh, Berg, Berghaus is a, is a really good signing that they made from one of their biggest title rivals in, in Feyenoord. And they have a, a decent team again. Like, I don't, it's crazy to me how they get rated all the time, and yet they they still have so much quality in this team. Allaire, Bergeis, 
uh, Anthony, the Brazilian right winger. Obviously, we know about Dusan Tadic, who you know has been in the best form of his career since he left Southampton for Ajax a couple of years ago. Graven Birch, you know, great um, Dutch talent that a lot of clubs are are keen on. Um, so yeah, I've been I was really impressed um, by Ajax pulling this off against you know might we say the champions of Portugal, which is supposed to be a, a higher rated. Uh, league than the Eredivisie but um, yeah really really impressive from Ajax Um, they sit top of the group um, alongside Dortmund Um, at least you know Ajax have a better goal differential because they hammered Sporting but um, both on three points I kind of I mean I wouldn't say I expected Ajax to win this game but I'm I'm not entirely surprised that they did Um, I think Nuno Mendes is a big loss for Sporting and we saw that when he, he came off the bench for PSG and honestly, I think he was the best player on the pitch after he came on. He was so dangerous flying down that left wing. And, and that's a big loss for Sporting. But they have a lot of quality, too. And, and you look in their lineup, and I'm kind of surprised. You know, maybe not that they couldn't pick up the win against Ajax, um, but that it, it, they got hammered in, in this kind of fashion. Um, and they just, you know, really weren't in the game at all. So, And I think that will do it for the UCL results. Um, We can move on to the Premier League results at the weekend. Uh, We can start off and hopefully quickly move past this horrendous result from Manchester City uh, against Southampton, nil-nil, unable to find a breakthrough. Um, You know, I, I can't really say that there was much that was quality about this game. Um, our, it's not that we defended really well to get the clean sheet. I mean, there wasn't that much to do. Um, there was only two shots on target from Southampton, only one from City. So it wasn't a very attacking game. Grealish was creating some chances, but nobody was there to finish him off. Jesus, uh, who has been fantastic on the wing, didn't show much. Um, Sterling, you know, didn't didn't do much. Fernandinho seemed to be struggling. Um, I don't know if it's he's getting older or what, but he, he definitely seemed to be struggling. Obviously, it's just one game, so I'm not going to get on him um, for that. But definitely, you know, some work to be done. I mean, if you can't make a breakthrough against Southampton, you need that to be able to win the league. I mean, you can't be drawing these, these games if you want to win the league. And uh, once again, I think it showed, you know, we need a number nine without that true number nine, without that goal scorer who can, you know, just – finish one off that we need because we have to play through people instead of we're playing a lot of crosses but there's nobody who's going to be in the middle and win those headers sterling is not going to be winning headers jesus is not going to be winning headers even Ferran torres when he's in there is not going to be winning headers so we have to play through people uh rather than you know go down the wings and and cross it in we got to play a tiki taka you know in the, in the central through, through the middle of the pitch. Um, do you have any thoughts on this game, Garrett? Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, I agree with, with what you're saying. Like this shows, it, it's the same problem that I've been outlining and everyone knows about this problem. It's as clear as day. Um, but I totally agree. You're not going to win the title failing to score against Southampton at home, a team which finished 15th last season, a team which is notorious for leaking goals like crazy. Um, 
Yeah, I think it's a really poor result for City. I mean, I I didn't watch the game because I assumed City would just hammer Southampton, and most of the predictions that I saw said the same thing. That didn't end up happening. It still didn't end up being, you know, the best game to watch. I'm happy with the game that I watched, which we will talk about in a minute. But, yeah, I think it's really poor from City, especially with Liverpool and Chelsea just making up more and more ground. It's more drop points, um, and they're already kind of finding themselves – falling behind a little bit as much as uh, I'm sure it pains you to hear, but it's true. Yeah. I mean, obviously we were well off the pace uh, last year and managed to come back. So I don't think obviously it's the same situation here when we have more competition um, and I think people will be winning more, but I think that not, not time to panic yet, but we do need to start picking up points and, and, you know, these next couple games in the premier league are going to be huge. Right, we have Chelsea and and Liverpool um, with PSG smack in the middle in the midweek. So, huge, huge uh, week coming up uh, once we get through the Wycombe Wanderers game. Um, yeah, and so let's go to the game that I was watching, which was Watford going to Carroll Road and defeating Norwich three goals to one. A, a great performance from the Hornets. Um, led by two goals from Ismail Assar and Emmanuel Dennis's second Premier League goal. Timo Pukki scored in the middle, but um, I, I thought Watford definitely had the best of this game. They had, you know, one defensive slip up there, letting, letting Pukki in. Um, it was a really good through ball, and, and uh, Pukki finished pretty well past Foster, who I think maybe could have come out, but I'm, I'm not sure. It was kind of a, a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation there. But Ismail Assar was just brilliant flying down the wing he was putting in crosses when the ball was on the other side he was getting into really dangerous positions obviously two goals he could have had more he was involved in everything for Watford um yeah so really really well done um for Watford it's it's another big three points for them they already have six now I, I think that's a, a good sign for them um and I think at this point I'd already be uh getting Norwich I'm getting Carroll Road ready for championship games next season. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Norwich unable to pick up any points. So, I, I mean, I think we both predicted them uh, to go down. Uh, I think a lot of people did, and and they continue to show that. Um, as you say, I think Watford deserved this win. Um, they they just controlled the game for the most part. So uh, the possession, the stats might not might not show it because they the stats are relatively even, but you know the the way that Watford were playing were pretty in control the most for the most part. It didn't seem like they were uh, worried, especially once they once they got that second. I never felt that uh, Norwich were gonna come back and 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 level it at any point. Um, I will say, just mentioning as a USMNT podcast, Sergeant uh, did start in that game. Uh, he he had some chances. He was drawing a good amount of fouls, um, but he he did miss a couple chances that he he could have uh, maybe done a little bit better with as well. Yeah, so we'll go from your shock result or not shock result, but your horrible result to my horrible result, uh, which was Everton facing a bitter three nil defeat at Villa Park. All three goals coming in a nine minute span. Um, in the second half, I honestly thought that we were the better team in, in the first half, despite the absences of DCL and Richard Lisson and Seamus Coleman and Jordan Pickford. James, you know, apparently had a muscle injury 
which kept him on, you know, off the, the 18 man squad. That may not be true, which, uh, you know, we kind of, there's rumors obviously cir- circling about him going to Qatar. Um, apparently nothing's agreed as of yet, but it looks pretty likely to happen. So, so maybe the whole muscular injury thing was a lie. I'm not sure either way. It was a depleted Everton squad without, you know, four of the most important players on the whole team, five, if you include James. Um, and, and I, and I thought we still played well. I thought in the first half we were the better team, but, um, we weren't ruthless in the final third and Villa were, and Matty Cash, uh, beat Luca Dean too easily. In my opinion, I, I thought Luca Dean had not a great day at all as he was also, uh, at fault for the second goal, which, which went down as an own goal off him. But when Matty Cash got past him, cut it inside, smash it home on the left foot, it was a great finish. And then it was Leon Bailey came off the bench, whipped in a corner, uh, Luca Dean tried to head it out, ended up just flicking it right over Begovich, and then uh, said a sister, Leon Bailey, uh, scored a, a really good volley um, on the counterattack. And it was 3-0. I think that's a really harsh scoreline for us. You look at the XG, it was 0.96 for both teams. So it was you know, relatively evenly matched. Um, but you know, I think maybe Villa probably deserved the win. I, I just don't think they deserved to win 3-0. Um, in terms of positives for Everton, um, I thought Damari Gray was just fantastic again. He, he's so dangerous. Every time he touches the ball, he skips past players um, like it's second nature to him. Um, and I thought, you know, he was the best player on the pitch, uh, in my opinion, o- over the 90 minutes. So um, really tough result. But the fact that even when we're playing poorly, his form is still there and he still looks so dangerous um, playing under Rafa Benitez is, I guess, a, a nice silver lining um, for, for me to take some courage from. What were your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, we, we continue to talk about Damari Gray every single podcast we do because the man he continues to play well even when he, he doesn't score, um, which he has been. Uh, he, st- he still ca- catches the eye. Um, as you say, Matty Cash getting his first uh, Villa goal, which was a really, really nice goal. But oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, it was a great goal. Yeah, yes, his first uh, goal for Villa, um, as well as obviously Leon Bailey's first goal for Villa, which was also a very nice goal. He looked fantastic in the few minutes that he was on before he came back off for injury. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, I don't think we should take a ton from it, as you said, for Everton because of the depleted squad that they had. I mean, when you don't have, you know, DCL, that's your main goal scorer, your main threat in there, um, as well as the other absences you were mentioning. So Yeah, I mean, I, DC, the backup striker to DCL is Richarlison, and he was also out. So, right. it, you know, it was Rondon playing his first Premier League game in like two and a half, three years or something like that. You know, it, the writing was on the wall. Yeah, and it, it may be a harsh result 3-0. But uh, it's it, it's kind of similar to what Everton did to Burnley the week before. You know, he scored, what, three in six or seven minutes, and now they did three in, you know, nine or whatever it was. Um, so it's a similar, similar idea. Everton got a little taste of their own medicine after that. No, you're not wrong. You're definitely not wrong. Um, we can go look at a little bit of a surprising result. Brentford getting the 2-0 win against Wolves, uh, Ivan Tony penalty, and a Brian Mbwemo goal uh, as well. Um, they also got a red card, uh, Baptiste, in the 64th minute and managed to you know, hold on, uh, shut the door down. So, I mean, this is a promising result for Brentford, in my opinion. It should, what Wolves, I, I said uh, in our very first episode, I think that they would struggle. Um, 
and this shows that they, you know, are struggling. It shows if we're going to look at a relegation, you know, idea for people, a lot of things, people thought Brentford would go back down. Um, but if, if we're looking at it, Wolves have to be in that conversation too now um, because they're losing and Brentford are continuing to show some quality. I mean, Brentford are in the top half right now in ninth yeah. and Wolves are all the way down in 16th um, fighting to, to with on three points. So I think that, you know, that, that is promising for Brentford and worrying for Wolves. I mean, uh, I, think the, I think, I think the most worrying part for Wolves is the fact that they, had a man advantage for over 35 minutes and Justin, they didn't register a single shot on target in this game and they were up a man for, sorry, for 25 minutes. Yeah. And they did not register a single shot on target against Brentford, despite having 62% possession. Like this is extremely poor from Wolves, extremely poor. People were saying, oh, they're getting unlucky in their first, you know, three games. They lost all of them 1-0. They should have scored, and they didn't. But the fact of the matter is that in this game, they were god-awful. They were horrible. I mean, you just can't excuse that. At home against a newly promoted team, and you don't have a shot on target despite being up a man for 25 minutes, that's just ridiculous. Um, I thought Ivan Tony was was great. Um that penalty was obviously clinical, but he also had the assist on the Embuemo goal um, where he, you know, got all the way to the byline. And then it was a beautiful cross just for the easiest tap in that Brian Embuemo will ever score. Um, so yeah, you're right. Brent really encouraging stuff from Brentford. I had them going down. Um, I think that is not looking great now, but I, I did say Wolves would struggle. And, and I, you know, that is, you know, proving to be true at the moment. Um, only three points from their five games which was that one win last week against Watford. Um, and to be fair, you know, they've had some tough fixtures, but still one win from five games um, and a loss at home against Brentford, that's really tough. And, you know, I, I honestly, if it stays this way, I, I think Bruno Lage could potentially be one of the first managers to go this season. Yeah, I think that's definitely on the cards if, if they can't, you know, find some results. Um, another surprising result of the weekend, Brighton taking down Leicester, uh, two to one, um, with Mope scoring the penalty and, uh, Welbeck in the 50th minute, Vardy in the 61st, there will be some controversy over that penalty. Of course, Brendan Rogers was unhappy, but that will always happen. Um, but regardless, I mean, a surprising result, a big result for Brighton, who are sitting in a Champions League spot currently uh, in fourth place on um, 12 points. So right behind the top, top three on 13, while City is on City and Everton are both on uh, 10. So yeah, you know, you know who's the only you know who's the only team that Brighton has haven't beat Everton. Everton? Yep. yep, they have four wins, and right smack dab is a home loss to the Toffees. Get in there. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, firstly, I just want to say that Jamie Vardy goal was absolutely beautiful. Did you, did you see that? The, the buildup that they had was just gorgeous. It was a combination between um, Ricardo Pereira and, and Tielemans and – I think it might have been Patsindaka or something on, on the right side, and, and it was just gorgeous. Um, and, and then Vardy's there to tap it in, um, you know, unsurprisingly. He, he's always there. Oh, sorry, it was Lookman and, uh, and Ricardo Pereira 
um, who had a really nice combination on, on the right side, and then Tielemans whipped in an inch perfect ball. Um, but obviously, that that's not the main talking point. The main talking point is Brighton, who you know have been uh, looking pretty good this season. I mean, four wins from five. It's just they're playing the same way that they did last season. Nothing has changed other than the fact that they're actually getting results this time. To be fair, their fixtures have been very favorable. They've played Burnley. They've played Watford. They played us, obviously lost that game. And then they played Brentford. And then, you know, obviously beating Leicester is a big win for them. But yeah. the, the fact of the matter is that three of their other wins are against, you know, I guess Brentford are not relegation favorites at this point. But, you know, still teams in and around – that kind of bracket, um, not particularly tough fixtures. But I think it is really encouraging for the Seagulls that, you know, they're managing to turn these good performances into points, which is what they were just so inept at doing last season. They were so inept at putting the ball in the back of the net, you know, despite all this great buildup, this great team play, all this chance creation, and the stats show that, you know, on paper, they should have, you know, been one of the best teams in the league last season, you know, potentially in a European spot off expected points but they were nowhere near that because they just couldn't find that quality in the final third, but they're doing that right now. Um, and as you said, they're in fourth. I think they could end up finishing, you know, I, I think a top half finish is, is realistic for Brighton. Um, I, I don't think they're going to stay up in the European spots. I don't think they will be like this year's West Ham or anything, but yeah, a, a really good start for them in general, other than the fact that uh, they could not deal with Tamari Gray. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, it, as you say, their their fixtures were not, you know, they're pretty favorable, but that's why it's interesting, this result, because we know Leicester to be a good team. So when they can, you know, go take that win, it, it says something about the way that they're playing. Um, and obviously, we, we've talked a lot about we thought they were going to bring in another striker, but right now, Mape is getting it done, and, and they're, in general, you know, being able to score enough goals um, and and, you know, live up to that expected goals, expected points that they were not able to last season, as you say. Yeah. So now let's move on to um, the redemption story of Jesse Lingard as United <laughs> beat West Ham two goals to one at the London stadium. Um, Cristiano Ronaldo again, opening the scoring. Actually, no, sorry. That was, that was the equalizer. It was Saeed Ben Rama's deflected strike um, in the 30th minute which opened the scoring for West Ham. Obviously, um, very fortunate to completely um, unsight De Gea and take it into the other corner. And then Ronaldo's there. It was a great ball from Bruno Fernandez. Ronaldo hits the first shot straight at Fabianski, but is able to tap in the rebound. Um, and, and then Jesse Lingard scores just an absolute beauty in the 89th minute, cutting inside of Zuma and placing it in that top corner. But I, I think the biggest talking point from this whole game was the penalty and Mark Noble coming off the bench and De Gea saving his first uh, Premier League penalty in what was it, 36 attempts or something crazy like that? Yeah, he it, it's not what he does. He's he's not a penalty guy. Uh, so, but it was it was extremely shocking um, to see you know after what we saw in the Euros to see somebody come on and, and just try and take a penalty straight off the bench. We've seen that that was not the way to go and it continues to not be the way to go obviously their two pen takers antonio and ben ramo are no longer on the pitch but uh, i mean it's a questionable decision from david Moyes uh, at the very least yeah i mean i think united are, are definitely lucky to get away with the three points here um 
Well, actually, I mean, you look at the stats now. I, I hadn't actually seen this um, until now, but 10 shots on target to four, 17 shots to 13, 60% possession for United. Um, so in terms of like the actual course of events, obviously, you know, penalty could have, you know, should have been 2-2 um, even, but uh, it, United's performance was good enough, I guess, to get to get the three points. They probably deserved to win the game um, based based on that. But, I yeah, mean, I think not- – it's not that they didn't deserve it. They, they did, but it's that they, you know, West Ham had a great chance to seal a point um, yeah. and, and choked it away, essentially. Yeah. I mean, I think for United, there are, you know, a lot of positives. Though. I think the fact that Lingard, um, you know, picked his head up after what was just an awful, awful mistake against Young Boys, as we already talked about, obviously. But um, the fact that he could pick his head up, come back the very next game, you know, three, four days later or something, and, and, put ones just in the top. I mean, it was a beautiful goal straight in the top bins. Fabianski had no chance. Um, and, and, you know, it would end up being the winner. Obviously they didn't know that they were about to concede a penalty, but that was great. And then obviously Ronaldo is just a goal scoring machine. And that's what we know. That's what he does. He scores, you know, doesn't offer that much defensively. Doesn't, you know, offer that much in terms of chance creation, but he's really good at what he does. And that's putting the ball in the back of the net. I will say, I mean, not to not to disagree. I mean, he's obviously a fantastic goal scorer, but I will say that a, a top goalkeeper like, uh, let's say, I don't know, Ederson saves all four of his goals so far for United. You're not wrong. A lot of them have come off of some pretty dodgy goalkeeping. Um, that's for sure. But I still think, you know, he's getting himself in positions. And he's the type of player where, where you, you just knew that he was going to explode as soon as he, get, he went to United. Didn't matter yeah. how it happened. You just knew it was going to happen because it's Cristiano Ronaldo, and that's how he operates. Tapinaldo. Um, we, <laughs> we can move on to the last result of the weekend, uh, which was, you know, labeled as the game of the weekend. I don't know if it really turned out to be that way. Um, Chelsea getting a dominant three will three nil win uh, over Spurs. Thiago Silva, Conte, and Rudiger uh, getting on the score sheet for Chelsea. Um, I, I mean, my thoughts on this game were were really just domination from Chelsea. I mean, this is really not only should we say you know Chelsea are title favorites, which we continue to say after every performance, but this is worrying for Spurs. I mean, there was no fight. There was no energy. There was no, you know, desire to really go out and, and fight in this game. It was, it seemed from nearly, you know, the kickoff, um, not, obviously they didn't score until the second half, but yeah, I just, Spurs were never playing well. Chelsea always looked dominant, always looked on the front foot um, and never looked, you know, like they were going to concede, which is the biggest part of, you know, Chelsea's system is, lock it down especially after you score a goal um which they continue to do yeah i mean i i actually thought spurs were decent for the first like five ten minutes but but they didn't offer much of a threat um during those five to ten minutes even though you know they had some decent build up and uh um you know they were passing the ball around nicely but yeah i mean it's just chelsea were just so dominant for i guess the rest the, the next 80 minutes um 10 shots on target to two, 20 shots to eight. They're just, they're just so well drilled. And even when they like decided to, to sit back a little bit after that first goal, they still looked more dangerous than Spurs, despite the fact that they were giving them, you know, all that space and Spurs had most of the ball after that fact. But yeah, I, it just Chelsea are, are just such a well-oiled machine at this point. 
I do really think that Lukaku was, you know, kind of the final piece to that, that jigsaw um, in terms of, you know, a team that not only can make a tournament run, obviously like they did in the Champions League last season, but also a team that can do it week in, week out in the Premier League, challenge for a title. I said they would win it. I'm st- this performance has only made me more confident in that because they, they slapped this Spurs team around. You're right. They were devoid of energy. There was no belief. As soon as Thiago Silva scored that goal, you know, Tottenham heads dropped. The stadium knew exactly what was about to happen. And Chelsea just, just added on to it. And their depth is, is ridiculous, to be honest. It's just the players that they have on their bench. Like, listen to their bench. They had Ben Chilwell, Reese James, Trevor, Chal- Trevor Chalaba, excuse me, and Golo Kante, who obviously came off the bench and scored, Saul, Hakim Ziyech, Timo Werner, and Hudson Adoy. That's their bench. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most teams in the Premier League. Yeah, that's ridiculous. It is. And that's why they're, you know, t- t- title contenders if not title favorites is the depth that they have city has been the only team to really be that deep for the past few years um which has allowed them you know to compete in four competitions and still win the premier league that's what chelsea are looking to do and i I mean as you say lukaku was the final piece in that puzzle and you can make the comparison to city who i think in both of our opinions are the other main title challengers they needed that last piece of that puzzle that was probably harry kane uh, and, and they didn't get it. So can they, can City, you know, still fight when they're missing that puzzle piece that Chelsea have found? It, it's going to be a hard one, and we'll see this weekend. I mean, we're going to get a, a preview um, when Chelsea play City. So a really, really exciting game this weekend, uh, the early match on Saturday. Yeah, that's going to be fascinating to watch. I think in terms of title challengers also you know Liverpool are obviously in it they've been in great form but you look at Chelsea's depth compared to Liverpool's depth and you know even throw City in the mix too because obviously City have good depth in every position except for striker Um, but Chelsea and City's depth compared to Liverpool's is just night and day And, and you have a feeling that if Liverpool start picking up injuries like they you know got last season obviously that that they're I just don't think they're going to be in the running just due to that depth and and even if they don't pick up injuries they're still going to have to prioritize you know one competition over the other like we've seen during Liverpool's successful seasons they haven't they haven't won more than one trophy per season because they don't have the depth to do it you know when they won the Champions League that was the only thing they won that year when they won the Premier League that was the only thing they won that year whereas City are winning trebles and are in you know in the hunt for for a quadruple even over the past few seasons. And now Chelsea could easily be in the hunt for a quadruple as well, just because you look at the depth that they have and, and you know, there, there's no reason why they couldn't be just as competitive in all four competitions as city are. Yep. And, and United been. and United of course have extreme depth in the, the front attacking areas. I mean, yeah, they but have nowhere else. Exactly. They struggle elsewhere to have that depth. If they could have a type of depth that they have in the attacking front three, then they would, uh, be be in that conversation with Chelsea and City for that that depth, but you know in midfield and especially defensively they struggle to have that uh, depth. And we talk about you know people will say it would kind of if you had to point at Chelsea's weakness, some people might say kind of the quality of the center backs, or, or at least they did last season. But you look at the stats and you look at you know just how they've been playing. And, and we've been kind of talking about this on, on the uh, Upper 90 Twitter account. But they now, since Tuchel took over, in the Premier League, they have more clean sheets 
than they have conceded goals. That is mental. They have 15 clean sheets and they've conceded four goals or 14 goals under two goals. Three of those came in that crazy West Brom game at Stamford Bridge. I mean, Tiago Silva just looks ageless. He's been, you know, monumental. Antonio Rudiger is flirting with Real Madrid because he does legitimately look to be one of the best center backs in, in Europe right now. And, and obviously the system helps with that. And, and Tuchel, you know, drilling them so beautifully. Their, their defensive organization is honestly, I, I've never watched a team defend and be so like, you know, I've ne- defending has never looked so beautiful to me is what I'm trying to say, because they've been, you know, just fantastic in every area of the pitch. Um, honestly, Justin, is the game? Wait, is the is the game next weekend? Is it at the Etihad or is it at Stamford Bridge? Uh, it is at Stamford Bridge. I think Chelsea are winning this game. I, I really I, do. I just don't see you guys without a striker breaking down. You know that defensive setup. I just really don't. I mean, I, I'll be. I would definitely take a draw. I uh, think that would. Bridge. I think it would be wise for you to say you would take a draw. Definitely. No doubt. No doubt. And with that, let's move on to our final talking point this week, which is, of course, the MLS, which saw a, a crazy week in, you know, we've been talking about the playoff race every single pod um, pretty much. But that's because, you know, there's just so many twists and turns at the moment. Um, a lot of big results, some crazy games. Well, let's start, Justin, with my team, the Earthquakes, who played in two, four, three thrillers coming out, losers in the first, winners in the second. Um, we can start uh, on Wednesday when um, we lost at home 4-3 um, against Real Salt Lake, which honestly was ridiculous. I don't know how we didn't win this game, to be honest. Um, Chofis, though, you know, that's my main takeaway. This guy has exploded um, in, in the last, you know, even couple of weeks because he's been scoring beyond just obviously these past two games, which, you know, has gotten everyone talking about him. But, but he's been consistently great over the past month or two. He scored against you guys when we were at the game, Justin, at, at PayPal Park. Um, and he had a hat trick in this game, which you said, and, you know, I, I'll quote you on this. Yeah, I'll, I'll say it before. Go, yeah, I'll say it so ahead. that it's not a bias. Yeah, so that's not a biased take from a Quakes fan. That is the best hat trick in MLS history. Unbelievable, the three goals that he scored. The first one, just a, just a rocket off the left boot into the far corner, kind of a vintage trophy goal. The second one, obviously, we, we talked about it, it's aided a bit by the fact that the defender got tripped by his own player, but the, the cut from trophy, it was very Messi versus Boateng-esque, um, and, and then he just slots Ooh. it past the keeper. Uh, uh, past Ochoa and then and then the third goal scores just an outrageous Olympico from that right side corner and, and puts it in the near post which is crazy because usually you see Olympicos going you know curling all the way into that far top corner he put it near post and and it was just wow just fantastic hat trick didn't matter though because we ended up choking and and letting Miram and then Rubio <laughs> Rubin score in the 71st and 81st minutes respectively, and, and lose the game 4-3. But, I mean, Chofis, just amazing. And that's an easy segue because Chofis went off again, this yep. time in Austin, where the Quakes won 4-3 instead of losing. Um, and we were down 3-1 in this game. Um, and I honestly had lost a lot of hope, but we came out um, strong in the second half. Christian Espinosa getting through from a beautiful assist from Benji Kikanovic and slotting it through, and then Lopez scored a pen, and then another goal after that. 4-3 winners. Obviously, Alex Ring getting a red card in the 65th minute helped because 
to be honest, Austin were kind of dominating the final part of the game, despite the fact that they were down a man. But after all of that, Justin, what were your thoughts on, I guess, both of the games, um, but also, I guess, the, the Quakes kind of late season playoff push? Where, where do you think it stands? Do you think the Quakes have a chance of, of squeaking in? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the door is still open. Uh, there's going to be a lot of work to do. You're probably going to need some help from some other teams, but the door is, is definitely still open because of how tight it is uh, in, the, in the West there from, I mean, basically the middle of the table to the bottom. It is extremely tight there. Um, as you say, I mean, Chofis, you can't say enough about him. Uh, five goals in two games is ridiculous. Um, I'll say I, Austin, I mean, this, they may be in last place. They may be the worst team in MLS, but they are entertaining to watch. Every game that you would, they play nearly is, is goals and entertainment. Maybe it's because they can't defend. I don't know what it is, but they're, they're an entertaining team to watch. They have an entertaining fan base who continue to show up even when they're, you know, playing very, very poorly. Um, but yeah, as you say, they went up three, three, one in that game and San Jose came back a uh, very fun game to watch. Of course, the uh, Alexander ring red card uh, in the 65th was an important, uh, important for, uh, you know, San Jose to hold on. But as you say, you know, the goals had already been put in by then and, Austin, you know, controlled the game at the end because San Jose were sitting back and willing to just hold on to that one goal lead, which they were, you know, able to do. So one not bad result, one good result um, for for San Jose, which leaves them in tenth place uh, on thirty points. Uh, Vancouver also in thirty uh, on thirty in ninth place. Um, uh, San Jose chasing Minnesota right now, who are four points uh, ahead in that seventh place spot with a game in hand, it has to be said. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I just, I just the... wanted to, qu- oh, sorry. I go just ahead. wanted to quickly no, say, I, I think, you know, obviously we talk about Austin being bottom of the league, negative 15 goal difference, et cetera, et cetera. But I think it's a little bit unfair on them, to be honest. Yeah, they've been very open defensively, but they, they play really good football going forward and and I think if they can just kind of clean up a lot of the the errors that they've been making and you know it's their first season like it's kind of expected you know the quality isn't all quite there but I think the way that they play I I think that kind of the philosophy you know I wouldn't be surprised to see them you know kind of do a Minnesota where you know Minnesota were the worst team in the league their first year um, in in MLS they were awful and then after that they've been you know decent you know, playoff contenders every season since then. And I, I just, I wouldn't be surprised to see um, Austin, you know, kind of making some headway next year. And Absolutely. I also wanted to say, I think in terms of the Quakes playoff window being open, I think these upcoming games against LAFC, which this will be our nice little segue to LAFC. Um, obviously we play you guys twice in just a couple of weeks. Those are going to be huge games, huge games. You guys sit three points ahead of us um, with the same amount of games played. Both those games will be huge. With that said, Justin, take us away talking about LAFC. Oh, man, what a week it was for LAFC. So, yeah, we, uh, we also played Austin uh, this week. We played midweek on Wednesday. We pulled out a 2-1 to draw with uh, Chicho Arango. 2-1 to one draw? Sorry, 2-1 to one win. Excuse me. Thank you. 2-1 <laughs> to one win. Um, yeah, Chicho Arango scoring. Uh, Fagundes with the equalizer and then uh, Danny Musovsky coming off the bench to win it for LAFC in the 81st minute. Uh, it was nice to see a late goal for LAFC 
something that's been going against us a lot this season is those late goals uh, to win the game. But, uh, you know, this was a, a good performance from us. It was, we're missing a lot of players. We, we got uh, uh, right O'Brien Rodriguez back from uh, international duty on this, on this game. So he, but still, I mean, that we're playing with one DP when we, you know, have three quality DPs. One has now moved on um, to Fenerbahce and one is, is still injured in Vela. Um, so we are, are, we're also missing our second captain, Edward Atuesta in the midfield, who is a huge uh, a miss. And in his place, we have Danny Crisostomo, who is a USL player. Um, he, he plays for Las Vegas Lights and has you know, been brought up to play in there um rather than a lot of a lot of lafc wants a lot of lafc fans would like to see uh, bryce duke in there uh who is more of a 10 which is where uh jose c fuentes plays so uh, a good result there but it could have been better if we can finish results it should have probably been closer to a 4-1 win um but a, a win is a win right now we needed the points it was our third win in a row after beating uh, kansas city and rsl so that 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 was big um and it sent us into the portland game thinking all right we just can't lose this game if a draw is not horrible we'd love to win it but we just can't lose uh, and that's what we did we lost uh two to one loss um not a two to one draw a two to one loss <laughs> and you yeah. you you wish it was a draw a two to one draw that would be great get a point for losing i would love it i would love it yeah no but uh, Dyrona Spria getting a little, uh, you know, a tap in header essentially with a melee in the box. Mario was asleep. Uh, Fall was nowhere to be found, and just a tap in on the back post right off the off the post or off the crossbar bounced, and he uh, just tapped it in with his head. Uh, Arango with another penalty, uh, five games in a row scoring. He has six and five, so he is you know hitting the ground running. How many from how many from this spot though? Uh, three of three? them. Yes, and three of them were pen, from the spot. Pen, pen Rongo, is that his new name? You know, <laughs> you can say it, but the thing is, is that penalties shouldn't be taken for granted. As a City fan, I'll tell you, you, you have to you have to bury them, and, and he's doing that. And his technique, he he's one of those guys who will come up with a stutter step, and he'll wait for the keeper to just go one way, and then he'll send it the other way. And he continues to do that. So it's, it is good to see, honestly, because – he, he looks like a sure penalty uh, every time, which is, which is good. And, and it's not that he, he has been playing well. I mean, he should have had two assists in this game as well, but we missed two sitters, which is what, you know, same issue as Austin. I said, it should have been a four one uh, win. This should have been a three, two win or a three one win even um, because we missed two absolute sitters. Uh, Brian Rodriguez missed a sitter and Sifu, uh, missed a, a sitter as well both were beautiful balls from Christian Arango who would he should have you know a goal and two assists which would be a much better stat line than one penalty um but regardless you know we conceded and gave up that second goal which is, is huge it really is uh in the, in the playoff race port it's a six pointer that is because portland um are right ahead of us, you know, in the, in the race. And so they move all the way up to fifth on 37. Well, we stay on 33. So it could have been, we could have, you know, hopped over them if we could have uh, gotten the winners, you know, kept pace. Uh, we will be playing them uh, at home 
in a couple weeks as well, which will be that's a, a, a that's huge, be a huge game. Yeah, it's going to be a massive game. I mean, prior to this, prior to that game, four of our next five games were against Portland and San Jose. We play both of them twice in in five games. Um, yeah, the other game being at Carson. So, so also obviously a huge game. Well, these, these are all really big games. Yeah, I mean, they, they really are. They really are just getting really big at this point. Uh, LAFC with nine games left to play. Most, most teams with nine, a couple with 10 uh, left to play. But it, it's, it's getting really, really tight uh, in, in there. And as you say, we're about to play San Jose, which will be a big, big game for both of us. Uh, LAFC sitting in eighth place, now one point behind Minnesota, who again have a game in hand, um, and three points to get, uh, behind uh, Real Salt Lake. Um, who do not have a game in hand on the same amount of games 25. So that's yeah, where LAFC another, are. And, and we're, we're playing in San Jose again, which is nice. Um, obviously, we play on the 16th um, at the bank, um, which I'm very excited for because I will be traveling down to L.A. to go to that game with Justin at, uh, at the bank. First time going there. And, but I'm sure we'll, we'll discuss that game uh, previewing. You know, I guess we'll see what happens in, in the game upcoming now, and then we'll – preview that game later um anyway before we wrap up um, a couple other notes in, in the mls justin atlanta united are on fire yeah absolutely seven out of eight they've won on the run i mean that is a, that is ridiculous after the start to the season they had obviously they sacked their manager which you know has helped um clearly but they now sit in sixth place uh on 36 points somehow Somehow they, I, I, it is, it is really remarkable. Um, it really is, and and that game against DC this weekend was an unbelievable game. I mean, the goals scored in that yeah. game. It was, it was a three-two game. Four I mean, of even, the five goals were absolutely beautiful goals. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even before that, I mean, they thrashed Cincinnati midweek. Joseph coming back scoring twice. Barco has been scoring a lot, which I think has been a, a big factor for them because we know that he's quality. It's just whether he can be consistent with it. And then, yeah, that, that DC game, oh, my goodness, just bangers upon bangers upon bangers. Yeah, it, yeah. And as you say, I mean, Joseph, since, since the manager has been sacked, has been back in because, you know, he, he was falling out and, and didn't, didn't even really get in the team. Um, and so now he's back. Which is and mental. He has, it, it doesn't make sense to anybody. Um, but, you know, personal issues are personal issues. I know. Uh, everybody's just, gonna... when, when he's healthy, he's arguably the best player in the league. Like, he, he's just put up numbers in this league that no one else has been able to. It's a bit ridiculous. Yeah, it really is. It really is. So they're sneaking into that playoff spot right now, um, which is really, really just shocking. After the way that they started the season, nobody would have predicted it. So congratulations to them, and, and hopefully they keep it running for their sake, you know. And then I think just, just another note is um, I'm kind of shocked to see Philadelphia all the way down in seventh right now. Um, they did manage to beat um, Orlando yesterday as, as we record this. But, you know, last year's Supporter Shield winners, and, and they're on the verge of falling out of the playoff spots. Just thought that was something notable. They do have a game in hand, but um, even, even then. I mean, third through eighth is separated by four points right now in, in the East. So, um, I'd say that the, the race just for the, the bottom couple playoff spots, I wouldn't say isn't quite as good as, as the, the West. But in terms of who gets what seeding in the East, it's an absolute toss-up. So that'll be really entertaining to watch. 
And with that, I think that's going to wrap us up for this episode. Thank you all for watching so much. Uh, be sure to go follow us or for watching, for listening. Thank you for listening. Uh, be sure to go follow us on Twitter at U90Football, U90Football. Um, and we really appreciate all your support. We'll be back next week, um, Tuesday morning as always, um, or evening if you're in the UK. But yeah, we really appreciate the support once again. Thanks for listening.